0: Uh, Well, good evening. Our first Bible reading tonight is from the book, uh, Deuteronomy, and that can be found on page 148. We're looking at chapter 32, uh, verses 1 to 18. So that's Deuteronomy 32, verses 1 to 18. Okay. Listen, O heavens, and I will speak, hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. They have acted corruptly toward him. To their shame, they are no longer his children. But a warped and crooked generation. Is this the way you repay the Lord, a foolish and unwise people? Is he not your Father, your Creator, who made you and formed you? Remember the days of old, consider the generations long past. Ask your Father, and He will tell you. Your elders, and they will explain to you. When the Most High gave you the nations, gave the nations their inheritance, when He divided all all mankind. He set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted inheritance. In a desert land, he found him in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. The Lord alone led him. No foreign God was with him. He made him ride on the heights of the land and fed him with the fruit of the fields. He nourished him with honey from the rock and with oil from the flinty crag, with curds and milk from herd and flock and with fattened lambs and goats, with the choice rams of Bashan and the finest kernels of wheat. You drank the foaming blood of the grape, Jeshurun grew fat and kicked, filled with food. He became heavy and sleek. He abandoned the God who made him and rejected the rocky saviour. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed the demons, which are not God, gods I had not known, gods that recently appeared, gods your fathers did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth." Our second reading tonight is from Ephesians chapter three, verse fourteen to twenty-one, and that can be found on page eight hundred twenty-eight of the Bibles you received. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of the glorious riches Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
1: Well, Good evening or afternoon, depending on where we fit at this time of day. It's great uh, that you've come again to meet in the name of the Lord. Uh, especially if you're new or passing through, it's great to have you amongst us. Uh, it's been another great day, hasn't it? A beautiful day, a sunny day. I suspect you've spent time with, uh, with friends or family. You've probably enjoyed a bit of the sunshine. Uh, let me say there's only one drawback of that. You get to Sunday night and your, your mind has turned slightly to mush. Uh, and so my fear is, as we look at the Trinity a little more, that uh, our minds aren't quite engaged. What we really need though is not just intellectual help, we need spiritual help. Uh, And so why don't we pray that God might speak to us clearly. Our Lord and Father, we uh, thank you that your word is perfect. We thank you that your word revives the soul. Uh, Father, we pray now that by your spirit and word, you would be reviving our souls, uh, reshaping us to love the kind of things that you love and and to hate what you hate. Uh, Father, we ask that uh, after enjoying a, a beautiful weekend and a great day, Uh, that we might be able to focus in on you and what you have to say to us even now. Uh, Father, keep us sharp and alert, and even more, Father, keep us humble, uh, that we might be uh, comforted by the parts of your word tonight that we need to be comforted by and challenged uh, where we may have come in pride. Uh, And we ask this for Jesus' glory. Amen. It wouldn't have escaped your notice that next week is Father's Day. Uh, You would have been hit with ad after ad, as I have been, about hardware and sporting biographies and DVD collections of BBC classic comedies. Uh, Each year, though, at this time, I'm reminded not only of how hard it is to buy a present for your father, uh, I'm reminded we have a funny view of fatherhood. So we make a special day for them, but it's a kind of tongue-in-cheek day of honour. Uh, Australian entertainer Colin Buchanan sang a song with this chorus, Dad jokes are bad jokes. It's sad, but it's true. If you love your dad's jokes, you're, the joke is on you. Dad jokes are bad jokes. I'm sorry to say, they're a joke with the funny bit taken away. Oh, I chuckled, you know, as someone who's continually trying to tone my humour down to that perfect, inoffensive, bland that is a dad joke. You know, I, I get it. Uh, but but it all... It reminded me as well, just I'm seeing Dave Code laughing, thinking, there's a man who does a dad joke. <laughs> Ask him later on. Whew, he's there early. Uh, it reminded me, though, of how, how we love our fathers, and yet it's mixed with a, a, a tinge of mockery and cheek. You know, you wouldn't do a song like that to celebrate Mother's Day. You know, and, and the Simpsons wouldn't work if Marge acted like Homer. And, and, and like all jokes, they, they, they work and they only work because there's at least a kernel of truth in there. You know, while fathers are loved, there's a tinge of disappointment. So Larry May says in his book, Rethinking Masculinity, uh, that men are generally socialised in Western culture to be competent in the public world but not in the private world. And that that training of men to excel outside of the home, to be giants of industry all the while being pygmies at home, creates a bitter aftertaste of disappointment. A young man had a a conversation uh, in hospital with his father when he was dying and the father, a perpetually busy man, uh, had not spent much time with his children and his son expressed to him his regret that they hadn't shared more time together. And the father responded by reminding his son that he had worked long hours to, in order to, you know, put, put, to provide for them, to put food on the family table. And the son remained silent because in his heart he was yearning just to say to his father he, he'd never been that hungry for food but he was hungry for his father's presence. Now why do I raise this? Because our mixed feelings about dads not only affects our human relations, but but it's going to affect it with our maker too. So we've all got grids that have been formed in our minds where we hear or we mishear any concept of God the Father. And and so strong are those grids in our minds that some have tried to run away from God's self-revelation as Father. Uh, Like English Bishop Timothy Stevens, at his enthronement he had this prayer said, Uh, We pray, eternal God, for your awakening within us, from disillusion to truth and unto your righteous way, lead us, source of all, our Father and our Mother. See, see for some Christians, and maybe it's the case for some of us here this evening, uh, who had appalling and um, some even evil fathers, uh, that the prospect of addressing, you know, our Heavenly Father in the way that Jesus recommends us to is actually a painful prospect. fatherhood has a confused reputation and that in turn means that God has a mixed reputation tonight what we need to do is we need to overturn that we need to to overturn the misrepresentations of fatherhood and especially we need to start with God himself so if you've just joined us tonight uh, we are spending four weeks looking at the Trinity looking at God himself Uh, last week we looked at uh, the perfect relationship you know, God is one God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and that God at his very core, his essence, his being, God is, is three persons who are in perfect interconnected unity and, and so by virtue of the way that they love each other eternally, they, they live in each other so to such an extent that they dwell in each other to, to such a degree that they are one. It's that process I said last week of, of pure and perfect empathy. So God is three persons relating so perfectly and intimately they are one. And the reality of God's triunity, it's trinity, uh, reshapes you and me. We, we can't be the same. We have to give our soul worship to him. Uh, and that means engaging in relationship with him. It means engaging in relationship with other people because relationships are ultimate reality. And we, as his image bearers, have to conduct our relationships like him. This was all the stuff we, we, we kind of trotted over last week. And I want to encourage us that we need to worship God in his unity. But we also need to honour each member of the Godhead in their particularity, in their difference. And so as we look at the distinctive person of God the Father, I want these kind of questions to be rattling in your head. Okay? You need to be asking, you know, what is it that makes the God the Father distinct from God the Son and God the Spirit? How do we worship him in a way that's different to the other members of the Trinity? What what is it going to look like for you and I to to bear the image of our Father in our daily lives? Have them rattling around in your minds. What makes the first person of the Trinity God the Father? He is the distinctive member who is the benevolent authority of the Godhead. Two big words there, benevolent authority. Hang on to them, we'll flesh them out. Uh, to put it another way, if you don't like saying benevolent authority, he's the leader of God who does what's best for the rest of the Trinity. Okay? God's fatherhood is not first and foremost about the way that he treats us. Uh, our natural ego, we all have it, uh, means that we're inclined to think that you know, every part of truth is related to and connected to us first and foremost. No, it doesn't. It, it starts within God. So before we we understand how God relates to you and me, his creation, the stuff outside him, we've got to look first at his internal relations. So God's fatherhood is actually defined not by how he treats us, first of all, but how he treats the Son and the Spirit. And thankfully, God has given us a little window into his life. Um, he's, He's kind of opened himself up for reality show treatment. You know, a la, you know, big brother, master chef, those kind of things, that, that we could actually genuinely know what God is like by looking in on him. Uh, John's Gospel, I'd want to suggest, is perhaps the richest source of, of how we can see God just relating at home within himself, so to speak. Uh, and there we see the Father's distinctive role. It's to bear the responsibility to make the decisions that are best and in the best interests of the Godhead. So he exerts, Benevolent authority. Um, let's pick up on the authority first. We'll come back to the benevolence. Uh, first of all is authority. Uh, the Father is the source of decision-making and direction. So over and over again, Jesus speaks of his Father sending the Son and the Spirit. I'm going to give you lots of verses. Um, I don't expect you're going to look them up at this point. You can jot them down and check them later on. But, but let me uh, read them out to you. Uh, John fourteen twenty four. These words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father who sent me. And again in 26, uh, but the counsellor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. John 17, 8. They know with certainty that I came from you and they believe that you, speaking to the Father, you sent me. Uh, Again in in, uh, John 20, 21, again Jesus said, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So the, the Son... Uh, never sends a father, and the spirit never does either. And the sending is not about, an, uh, you know, putting a couple of options on the table, which one would you like to choose? No, 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 the father sets the direction. Even within equally divine persons, uh, it's him who is obeyed. So John fourteen thirty one. the world must learn, Jesus speaking, that I love the father, and I do exactly what my father commanded me. Okay, so that the Father's got an authority in the Godhead that means that Jesus, through whom absolutely everything in creation was made, he still has to turn back to the Father and make requests. You know, you'd think that you know, Christ, you know, he's God, he'd never need to ask anything of anyone, and, but that's because we misunderstand relationships. You know, good, right, perfect relationships aren't the same as equal, identical, doing the same roles. So Jesus doesn't do anything without asking his Father. John 17, one, uh, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed, and then he goes on with a chapter of requests. Uh, perhaps most remarkably, uh, the one that certainly stood out to me, after rising from the dead and before he ascended up in to take his place in heaven, Jesus said this, uh, John twenty seventeen. Jesus said, "'Do not hold on to me, "'for I have not yet returned to the Father.'" Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. you get that? Jesus calls the Father his God. Now, he's not denying his own divinity. What he's doing is he's explaining the authority that the Father has in the Trinity. So a God is that which you love and that which you trust and that which you obey. Uh, Martin Luther put it this way, whatever your heart clings to, Uh, Sorry, whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. Trust and faith of the heart alone make both God and idol. And the Father is the one the Son loves. And the Father is the one who the Son trusts. And the Father is the one who the Son obeys. It's in that sense that Jesus calls his Father, my God. Now what this kind of this self-disclosure, this you know, reality TV insight into God and his inner working says is that patriarchy, the, the rule of fathers, is alive in the heart of God. And that sends shivers down the spines of some of us and with good reason. Patri- patriarchy does have a bad name uh, and for all sorts of good reasons. For, for too long... In practice, the authority of fathers has been abusive and been self-interested and been damaging. Uh, Some forms of feminism and, you know, the feminist movement is far too broad and complex to kind of say there is one single feminist position or stance. I want to say some forms of feminism see patriarchy is the opposition. The rule of fathers is the problem. So, Frederica Scarth writes, neither men nor women live their bodies authentically under patriarchy. You know, the big enemy there, patriarchy, the rule of fathers. But the problem is not patriarchy; it's selfish, sinful, evil patriarchs. That's the problem. Men who've done such a bad job. And so, more helpfully, Chris Beasley points out: feminism is a cre- critique of misogyny, the hatred of women, uh, the assumption of male superiority and centrality. Uh, you see, abused patriarchy—a veil for self-interest and oppression. That is the enemy of authentic reality because it is hatred, not love. The the inner relations of God show what patriarchy should be. That is entirely other person-centred. It's an authority built on love, not hatred. There are some delights for us, though, in this. The the fact that good patriarchy exists inside God is why, why we focus our prayers and our requests to the Father. Uh, An amazing privilege we have as Christian people is that we can take our requests and our concerns and our longings and our grief straight up to the Father, the authority, and the one who gives, the one who sends. Um, I was chatting with someone before church uh, about that very question of, well, you know, who who do we pray to? I mean, we're reminded all the time of what a great friend we have in Jesus. Uh, But it's interesting to note, as far as I can tell, uh, there are no instances in the Bible of people praying to or instructed to pray to the Spirit. Uh, And only three, I think three, you can debate with me afterwards, uh, of directing it to Jesus. There's uh, Stephen in Acts 7, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Uh, There's Revelation 21, come Lord Jesus. And questionably, uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, talking about the removal of the thorn from his flesh, he might have been talking about referring to Jesus. So two or or three. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that it is a sinful thing to pray for the other persons of the Trinity. Don't, Don't come away thinking that at all. But what we're encouraged to do is why don't we go straight up there and have access to the great authority, to the Father himself. You know, it, it's a point of, of open relating. It's a way in which we can distinctively honour the Father and his role that we bring our prayers to him. Uh, so I, I, I currently have four children at home. Uh, the youngest is Josephine. Now, when Josephine uh, wants something from me, um, I expect her to come straight to me, and she does. It wouldn't make any sense at all that she has to go to her older siblings and ask them to pass it on to get the message to me. I want to say in the same way, we have the privilege of going to the Father, uh, not simply uh, Jesus who calls us his brother. And we approach when we go to that authority, we do it with confidence. Confidence that he's got authority but he is benevolent. Uh, that's the sec- second kind of distinctive feature, he's benevolent. Um, if you're not familiar with the word, benevolence is acting to bring about what's actually genuinely good for other people. That's benevolence. God the Father exerts his, absolute, other person, his absolute authority in, in, in other person centeredness in, in benevolence. Uh, so let me give you a few more verses, John three thirty five. The Father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands john 5 20 the father loves the son and shows him all he does 15 9 as the father has loved me says jesus so i've loved you You the the father loves the son he gives him authority and responsibility Um, he shares his work and his knowledge with him Uh, ultimately All the Father's commands, even the one sending him into the world, is actually from love. So John 17, 23, Jesus' prayer. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. You see, we, we, we generally focus on passages like John 3.16, that you know, God sent his son into the world purely because he loved the world. And it's true and right, John 3.16, is completely right, I'm not disagreeing with it in the slightest, you'll be happy to know. Uh, but there's a greater and deeper purpose in why the father sends the son. It's actually because he really loves the son and he wants to see the son glorified. See, before creation, the son was up there and glorified as a co-creator. But after sending him into the world, uh, dying, redeeming people, rising again, Jesus actually has a better glory. He's not just glorified as creator, he's glorified as our saviour. It's actually for his good, ultimately. And so, post-resurrection, Jesus speaks of his authority and speaks of himself this way, John seventeen two, You granted him, speaking of himself, authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. We're getting the picture of fatherhood and what it should be. You know, yes, the father has, has unchallenged absolute authority in the Godhead, but he never uses it to serve himself. It's benevolent, not brutal. Now, it doesn't mean he always makes decisions that are easy for the Godhead or comfortable, but it's always for the best of the other members. I want to say that means you and I can be confident to accept his benevolent authority over us. I think it's a really scary prospect to hand control of your life over to someone else, and it's scary even to do it with God. Because you know, we're not free to pick and choose the instructions we like to hear from God. And so obedience is is really hard. But when you know that God is good, it actually becomes possible. Because yeah, there are points where God asks things that are, are profoundly countercultural and even counterintuitive, and he expects us to go along with him. I'm not sure what you think the hardest verse in the Bible is or the hardest command for you to obey is. Uh, for me, one of them is this. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for them in Matthew 5. Uh, in 1 Peter we're told, don't repay evil with evil but with kindness. Now perhaps you've never really been wronged, but if you have genuinely been wronged by other people, you'll realise just how difficult a command that is, how counterintuitive it is. Uh, a friend uh, had rumours um, and misinformation and gossip spread around his workplace about him. Uh, it got him into significant trouble, I won't go into details, um, even in his position, which was fairly high in the company. Uh, it seemed things had got worked out and um, though a year, le- year down the track, he'd taken a promotion, uh, he, he'd even had a transfer in the company, which, which meant relocating the whole family. Uh, and yet a year later down the track, those backroom lies saw him lose his job. And you go, when that happens, you know, to love your enemies and to pray for them rather than repaying them with evil, is just so hard and so counterintuitive. And if if you don't see that God's authority is combined actually with benevolence, with the fact that he wants to do you good, then you won't have a chance of obeying him. But I want to say we we can have confidence. Because the way that the Father relates within the Godhead, it flows out to how he treats us. So here's the remarkable excitement for, for us, is that God the Father becomes God our Father. So Jesus repeatedly speaks about how he's got a re- unique relationship with the Father. But, but at other times, he pushes beyond. And we can see how God is our Father. So let me give you the rest of that Matthew 5 quote. Matthew five forty five: Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, who causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So in the context of you know, being asked to do something really, really hard, Jesus reminds us that, that the Father is our Father and that He has absolute authority and he gives generously even to people who are evil and undeserving for our good. You know, Matthew seven eleven, if you then who, though you are evil speak Jesus speaking to other people, if the, you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? the fact that God loves the other members, that the Father loves the other members of the Trinity, you kind of go, yeah, but they're pretty lovable. Uh, The fact that he loves you and loves me is remarkable compassion because we're not that lovable. Uh, But Psalm 68, verse 5, God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. He's God in his holy dwelling. We are invited to by to come in Jesus, to enjoy that that loving fatherly care in a way that we don't deserve. Again, don't mishear me. It's not always going to be easy to obey, but know this, God will only ever ask you to do things that are good for you, that are best for you. Um, Hebrews 12 talks about how God disciplines those he loves to make us holy. Discipline, that, that is, you know, both the positive, modelling the good way to go, the negative of, you know, getting you in trouble when you've done the wrong thing. That's actually a sign of love and legitimacy. Um, if you've been disciplined, you know that God actually loves you like a father. You know, I see kids misbehaving on a bus, and if they're not mine, I ignore it. Uh, but if they're mine, um, out of love, out of responsibility, I act and I correct them and I retrain them. Uh, it's a sign of love. Uh, but even better, Hebrews 12 argues, our dads try and do what you know, they think's best, but what God does is actually for our good. Genuinely. Uh, In Christ, by His Spirit, the Father is our Father. And because of what we read in Ephesians 3, that all families derive their name from God, that actually reshapes fatherhood. So in God the Father, you see what you're supposed to be aiming for if you want to be a dad. And I know there are a few people here who would like to be. And you see as well what your dad, hopefully in some imperfect way, was. And I want to say you see as well what you need to keep doing to help your dad be. Even if you're an adult, you can keep encouraging him to be a better dad and a better father by looking to God the Father. See, earthly fathers have to be benevolent authorities. God wants dads to lead their families in a way that's best for them, to make decisions that are going to promote their their spiritual and emotional and physical good. Um, Have a look later on at Ephesians 6.4 and Colossians 3.21. Drop them down, Ephesians 6.4, Colossians 3.21. There are special instructions there for families. Um, Children, what are they to do? They are to honour and obey their parents. Straight after that, fathers are singled out for how they are to lovingly raise their kids. Um, Interestingly, mothers aren't addressed there. Now, it doesn't mean mothers aren't vital. It does mean there's a particular weight on fathers to be the benevolent authority at home. I want to say that's hard. And that's kind of guilt-inducing. Marcus Padley, a stockbroker, reflected, I work from home occasionally and am more than aware that my family have to talk to my back while I stare at the stock market. Uh, Young families are a passing moment never to be recovered. It's an expensive mistake to come home from a proper job and think your unofficial investment job entitles you to ignore your children's youth evaporating, uh, especially at weekends. The children don't deserve their heads bitten off because you're a bad investor. You know, maybe that was your dad. Yeah, and I feel for him and I share his struggle. Uh, sinful fathers, I'm one of them, uh, fall into two equally bad habits. Uh, the temptation on one side is to abdicate authority. You know, Whether it's not willing to make the tough decisions for the good of the family... Uh, or simply just to leave our wives to bear the weight alone, you know, or in coming in tired, home from work, uh, and that we're you know, so tired we may as well be absent. Uh, there are some dads who even choose to, to work longer, stay longer at the office, because quite frankly, it's an easier job at the office and you'll get more praise and more kudos by staying at the office than you will for coming home and working at home. Uh, and in a society with mixed feelings about fathers, Uh, That's what I want to say to you guys tonight. I'm aware that most of the people here aren't fathers. (laughs) Uh, But that's your important role to keep encouraging them. You know, sometimes you're going to need to tell your colleagues and workers who, who, who work underneath you, go home, be with your kids. You know, to excel in the private as well as the public sphere. Now I know of single men who volunteer for longer business trips, put their hand up, I'll take that one, so that the, the, the dads at work who are working with them don't have to be away. You can do something to help other fathers take responsibility. Uh, the, the other extreme, uh, the other error, the other fatherly sin is abusing authority. Uh, unlike God, we're tempted to rule for self-interest. I'm aware there are going to be extremes that are leaping into our mind at this stage. But even in the small things, that's where it all starts. You know, dad always choosing the comfiest chair in, the, uh, in, the, in any given room or, you know, that unrelenting domain over the remote control so that it's always fixed on his channel. You know, just those little things. And again, I want to say you non-fathers have to encourage dads to see their opportunity to lead lovingly and sacrificially. Um, You know, I spend time during the week with with particularly guys from the morning congregation. Uh, We meet, we chat, we read the Bible, uh, we pray. I figure if I'm encouraging them, uh, then in turn, hopefully, they're going to be looking after their families. Uh, Because I'm struggling with them to be leaders who do good, who provide for the family physically and emotionally and spiritually. Uh, But I want to say for you guys as well, you need to help in that. You know, if we want the fatherhood of God to be heard clearly by other people and not through misinformation, what do we need? We need good fathers. We need earthly fathers who so don't keep misrepresenting it. And so you need to help, encourage. Don't, you know, don't underestimate the power of an affirming word for dads who sacrifice. When other people comment on the fact that, yeah, you did really well not buying your dream car because it would have been completely selfish. That's a powerful thing. And you can give those words. Abdicated authority, abusive authority, mix of both. Um, all dads have sinned. Um, I speak these words aware of... My fault's falling on both sides. We need people helping fathers to do it right. But I want to say again, this is not just a message tonight for people who are would-be dads. It's about your relationship with God the Father. Yep, focus your prayers on him. Yep, obey him, trusting that he is making decisions for your good. But I want to say as well, find comfort in a good father, the good father. If you've had a bad experience of an earthly father, um, you will be scarred and it will be hard relating to God as your father. If your dad was absent or if he ruled an iron fist or he was self-serving, here's some good news, that you can find a father who loves you deeply and selflessly. And even if you had a great dad here, um, there's a better one. Uh, One who, who always will act for your good. If you've never taken up that relationship, you know, this is the day to take it up. Uh, And if you know it, here's a chance to delight in it. You know, next Sunday when Father's Day swings around, you know, I hope it's a great time, but particularly I hope it's a time where you can celebrate knowing your heavenly Father who truly loves you and leads you. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you that you are a good God and a generous God, that you act in ways... That are for our benefit. Father, we we pray that you would help us to trust your goodness as a father, to trust your authority over us, to be confident to live your way, knowing that you are only acting in ways that is best for us. Father, we um, pray that you would be helping those fathers that we have who are still living to continue to grow and be better dads, more and more like you and help us to work out how we can encourage those fathers around us, how to more and more reflect the truth of what you're like, and all the more that we keep going back and finding comfort in your care for us. In Jesus' name, Amen.